0: For 25 years, Mike's has been making lemonade the hard way. Mike's Hard Lemonade. Hard days deserve a hard lemonade. Mike's is hard. So is prison. Don't drive drunk. Premium all beverage with flavors. All registered trademarks used under license by Mike's Hard Lemonade Company, Chicago, Illinois.
1: Hey guys, Sean Hayes here. Jason Bateman, Will Arnett, and I had a a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to sit down with not one, not two Is a must listen. Don't miss out on this incredible opportunity to hear from three of the most influential figures in recent American history. Follow Smartless on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also listen to Smartless ad free by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. There's no place to escape to. This is the last podcast on the left. (laughs) That's when the cannibalism started.
2: We've been over this before in other episodes, mm. right? But we're proud of Mary and Travis, right? Oh, yeah. They're yeah, doing a great are, job. We're proud with them. Yeah. Do they not deserve uniforms? <laughs> what do you mean? Like, I, and I, I am saying this. We brought it up in Jonestown. Well, first says, of all, like, we should... honestly. Those are our
0: employees, Mary and Travis.
2: Yes, but they should have some sort of flair. Maybe <laughs> that's a part of it. And I do believe that if we can just kind of set it up, you guys are down in the studio, which is kind of a recessed. It has, it's got a basement. Mm-hmm. What we'll do is... Don't tell Travis or Mary because they don't listen to these episodes.
3: No. Sure, so they're not sure. going to know.
2: They're going to be up in the living room. Not no one's happened, right? We put up a fancy sheet in front of the stairs leading down to the basement where their studio is, right. pumped with a bunch of smoke machines in there, Right. We give them a couple of glasses. We give them a couple of mugs of coffee with acid in them, right? Oh, my God! Give it to them. Listen to me. Listen. We take them down the steps about a half an hour. of We have like a biscuit time where we sit and eat little tea cookies and stuff waiting for the acid to take hold. And we're telling them the spiritual energies are building. We bring them downstairs to the basement, give them capes, different grades of capes, uh-huh. where we give Travis a gold one. We give Mary a silver one. We don't tell them what it means yet. Right. But they'll feel more important. And then I will show them a cup and say it's the grail. What that then does is bonds them to us forever. And you know what we get to do? Stop paying them.
0: I don't know (laughs) if that's true, but all right. Uh, You know, a cape, you said uniform. I was thinking like TGI
2: Fridays, Uh the flair. That's bad. No, 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 no pedantic. No 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 pedantic flair based. I want real flair. The flare that is chosen by the hierarchy of the cosmos. All
0: right. <laughs> Neil deGrasse Tyson, I suppose. That. Uh, all right. This is the last podcast on the left, everyone. I am Ben Kissel. That's Marcus Parks. Hello. Hello. Marcus, you look thinner than ever.
3: I don't know why you keep saying I look thinner than I ever. I don't, thin- thin- don't know don't why you're thinner than ever. Don't
2: tell him that because that means you think he looks like sick.
3: Yeah, yeah, I asked him if he had the big C. No, no, I'm just—I'm always teetering on looking, being finely thin and looking really fucking sick. That's no, my you teetering. You are—you were thin. You do look a little thin. <laughs> he does. And
2: I am a little concerned. I, know. I am a tiny bit concerned, but I—I—I I, I respect you. I yes.
0: eat and three
3: I, meals a day.
2: I.
0: Hey, well, buddy. <laughs> hey, buddy. Hey. Sounds like the, the reverse uh, of an alcoholic. And then uh, and then we also have Henry Zebrowski, who is – he's our guest on the show, and now this is episode 398 or something? I think 41. Yeah. yeah so 42. That's good. So Permanent
2: guest, right. like Sinbad. Right. Now what we have here is before we begin today's episode, I want to do a little bit of a reading from Alice Bailey. So you can uh, – I feel like mirrors how we feel here at Last Podcast and Left on the information that we deliver – to our beloved audience. Okay. Who is, now, explain to everyone who Alice Bailey is. Alice Bailey, if you've done your reading, uh, <laughs> is one of the uh, original branch-offs from Madame Blavatsky. She wrote a book basically about uh, spiritual initiations. Uh-huh. And I believe it is called Initiations. <laughs> oh, Interesting. <laughs> Before entering upon the subject matter of the following articles on initiation, on the paths that open before the perfected man, and on the occult hierarchy, certain statements may be made which seem essential for the judicious study and comprehension of the ideas submitted. It is to be recognized that throughout this volume, facts are alleged and definite statements made which are not susceptible of immediate proof (laughs) by the listener. (laughs) <laughs> Lest it be inferred that the writer arrogates to herself any credit or personal authority for the knowledge implied, she emphatically disavows all such claims or representations. She cannot do otherwise than present these statements as matters of fact. Nevertheless, she would urge those who find somewhat of merit in these pages that he not estranged by any appearance of dogmatism in the presentation, nor should the inadequacy of the personality of the host act as a deterrent to the open-minded consideration of the message to which her name happens to be appended.
0: All right, kind of a long quote there. Um, Blavatsky. Blavatsky, it also reminds me of an overweight offensive lineman who's like funny and everyone kind of loves him, but he's kind of a doofus. But then he ends up falling on the football in the end zone,
2: recovering a fumble for a touchdown to win the big game. I will say Blavatsky definitely looked like the parent trap like twin of a linebacker for the Green Bay Packers.
3: (laughs) All right, we are on to part two of the Order of the Solar Temple. So when we <laughs> Last left, Joe DiMambro and Luke Jure, they had just merged their respective followings into a new super cult and had rebranded themselves as the Order of the Solar Temple. Ooh. Now, there's been a lot of debate over the years as to who was really in charge during the nine years that the OST was active, but it seems from the testimonies of former members that Joe DiMambro was the one who pulled most of the strings. Okay.
2: I- What I heard was, I did read one (laughs) um, testimony from a survivor that was like, I hated George Mambro, always smiley, always slimy, in rubbing his moustache. But Jure, oh that was the real heart of the OST. Him <laughs> with his melodious voice and his thick hair. He kept comparing Jure's thick hair to Demambro's big mound of hair and saying that it made him mis- distrust Demambro. Okay. And I think it was just because he was slipping your acid and you knew it. <laughs> so Demambro,
3: now he is the he's the least he's the less attractive one, right? He's He's the one behind the scenes. He's absolutely the less attractive one. I mean, I I think anyone who says that, like, Jure was the guy in charge, that's a style over substance guy right there. Oh. Yeah, because Jure, like, he was the face, you know, of course, like, he probably was the heart of it, but DeMombro. He was the cute one. He was the cute one. Demombro was the one who wrote all the songs, in other words. He was the guy... Really? He was the guy who was in charge of everything. He's the reason for the season. Yeah.
2: I see. Because he understood the combination of all of the cults between his group and the Argeny Renaissance, he was like a he knew how to pick and choose all the little the, the how to build the cult's brand in a way, which is now we're heading towards where I think what we talked about last episode where he was really building an esoteric study group. Like he was yeah. building a group that he just started realizing over time, hey, a lot of these members of this esoteric group are making me particularly horny and (laughs) because of my mustache I have created a purposeful he created a purposeful blockade between him and making love to women because he wanted to show just how powerful his brain could be to make people sexually get over his face. I see. <laughs> so
0: Demambro, he's the guy who wrote the song Wrecking Ball, and then the <laughs> other dude is Miley. Yeah, Is that right? True. Actually, yeah, that's yeah, a sure. very
3: good way of putting
0: it. You yeah, ever but... see a picture of the guy who wrote the song Wrecking Ball? Uh-uh. No. It is different than Miley.
3: <laughs> Holy hell. <laughs> Interesting. Well, ironically though, a large part of Demambro power came from his claim that he actually had no power. He told his followers that he took all of his orders from a council of 33 ascended masters who lived in the OST headquarters underneath Zurich in Switzerland. Also known as a section of Agartha. Mm -hmm. Yeah, (laughs) because the OST believed in the hollow earth theory. And Demambro told his followers that all of his directives came from the subterranean world of Agartha, which could only be accessed by descending 22 steps down a secret passageway somewhere in Zurich. Good
2: luck. Good luck finding the fucking passageway, huh? Zerk's
3: complicated because they built
2: all of the streets on a Z pattern. I don't know that 2B trip.
0: It sounds difficult. All I know is I never want to go on a journey to find a section of Agartha because that just seems like it's really, I'm going to need a little Bobo Baggins. I need a uh, little no help with that uh, one, a little Samwise.
2: But what we are having, what we're seeing here, though, is a direct line. Like, if you start reading about the – this goes – his thought process, DeMambro, his time spent in a morgue and his time working with the Argany Renaissance and these other esoteric groups. We're seeing what they are trying to build, which is a direct line all the way to Madame Blavatsky, Mm -hmm. and Madame Blavatsky builds upon the line from the Egyptian secret schools. So what we're talking about here is, like, once you begin to open up the the vaults of this type of esoteric thought between the Knights Templar, Rosencrucianism, esoteric Christianity. You're entering into the gigantic spine of occult thought that has been around to, for since Sirius arrived in 26,000 years ago, which we don't know if it's true or not.
3: Right. <laughs> <laughs> but even though the headquarters of the Order of the Solar Temple were in Zurich, Demombro and Jure expanded their operations across the sea in the mid-'80s, saying that the capital P, capital L, promised land was located in North America. Okay. What's the time period on this, on this little
2: buildup, Marcus, would you say?
3: About 80, but between 84 and 86. I think they uh, started the move over to North America in 85, and finally in 1986, arrived in the promised land that was... Quebec, hey, that's nice. Yeah.
2: Right.
3: <laughs> yeah Honestly, if you're gonna pick one spot in the world to make Capital P
2: Capital L Promised Land beautiful, Quebec is not a bad place to choose. Yeah, I don't I,
0: know. I mean, it's very cold.
3: Well, I don't know the exact reasoning behind it, but I think it was. Uh, I think they probably had three reasons for this. I okay. mean, one, it was distant enough to be impressive. Yep. Because you can't say, <laughs> hey, if you're in Switzerland, you can't say the Promised Land is in Sweden. No. You got to go far. Right. You, you got to go far. across the sea. And plus, you know, it's in a It's a beautiful, beautiful part of Canada that the order's rich members would still enjoy. You can't take them out to the desert like Manson was taking all of his followers. Sure. Because they didn't know what was good.
2: (laughs) When you're already rich, you already know what's good. And you can't drop in lifestyle. That's a part. That's why he catered to it. I'm
3: there. They they can't fully shake up their life. They have to,
2: like, give them a little bit to, to bite on.
3: Yeah. And speaking of which, they went somewhere where everyone all spoke, all spoke French.
2: We'll never ah. abandon us your name.
3: Interesting. So <laughs> is are
2: always glad you came? <laughs> <laughs> it's a strange
0: little bar over there in Quebec. So Zurich to Quebec. Zurich to kind of Quebec. Staying, staying on the lower end of the alphabet there. I'm telling mm-hmm. you,
2: though, with my cult, we are going to the beautiful, beautiful San Diego. That is the only place I will take my cult. It's where it's, it's 75.
3: rocket. I don't you. know, man. I don't know. I don't know if they want you. So Jure, working as the face, convinced people to leave Switzerland by using the Jim Jones technique, Uh-oh. telling his followers that the world would soon be ending and that the only place left standing was going to be Quebec. If this Damn. whole thing's, if this whole thing ends with him poisoning poutine
2: <laughs> as everyone slams it
0: down their gullet, I'm going to be really upset.
2: Yeah, I mean, from every single time I've had poutine, I assume it's poison from the reaction my <laughs> asshole has. <laughs>
3: But Geray was also careful to specify a large area of Quebec, which meant that followers could relocate without having to all stay on a stuffy little compound, meaning everyone could still live comfortable, rich lifestyles. Okay. Nice. Because that was the thing about the OST. They never had a compound per se. Instead, they had what could best be referred to as clubhouses. Good framing. Very good framing. And these were mostly in Switzerland and Quebec, although there were small contingents in the French Caribbean territory of Martinique and Australia.
0: So as far as like housing goes, OST seems to be one of the more comfortable cults that we've covered so far.
3: Well, that's the thing, is that the reason behind this is that, as we said in the last episode, unlike most cults, the members of the Order of the Solar Temple were, at the very least, middle class, if not fantastically wealthy. Ooh. Obviously, we will put one caveat there. There's probably...
2: I mean, there were some people on the lower end of the middle class that were involved as well. They ended up doing a lot of the grunt work. But a yeah. part of what the original plan that Jure and Demambro had from the very beginning was to get the elite. De- right. Jure knew from the very beginning when he was doing the, that's what he brought to the table. Demambro brought all of the esoteric, like generations of esoteric knowledge with him. Mm-hmm. Demambro's not a fucking joke. Demambro really did believe he was a wizard. Jure understood the packaging. He understood that what we need is cash fucking money. And so you have to go and talk at them about lifestyle and dietary shit and then flip it. And so in that, in that wave of getting rich people, you got some. Lower middle class.
0: Did you make this analogy in the last one with Tom Cruise and Miscavige for Scientology? Was that t- was that talked about? Because it seems like this uh, Jure is the Cruise, right? And yeah. D- DiMombro is the Miscavige. And by the way, that story is getting crazier and crazier. Tom Cruise was in charge of some of the beatings. Really? According to, uh, according to Leah Remini. But he built
2: it into his Jack Reacher stunt choreography. Can you imagine, though, getting beat up by five foot four Tom Cruise? <laughs> yeah, man. Wait till the one day when I finally fucking snap, dude. I'm going to be the Scariest five foot seven little tornado anyone has ever seen. Yeah, because you're only five five, so that
3: would make it scary.
2: No, Yo, you fucking piece of shit.
3: Well the things about all these rich people in the OST, everyone had their own homes. They all still had all their day jobs outside of the temple. Hmm. They all had lives that continued on in such a normal way that in some cases, close family members had no idea that their child, sibling, spouse, or parent was even a part of the OST. One such Hmm. example was Edith Walney, a lady of leisure, married to the 1960 Winter Olympics downhill skiing champion, Jean Voinet, who had made himself fabulously wealthy by founding a ski accessory company that still sells $300 sunglasses to this day. Hey,
2: All I'll right. tell you something one, man. i you you something. One, I'll be impressive it's some kind of uphill skiing champion. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody, every fucking inner buddy and her mother and their fucking uncle skis downhill because it's the only way you can fucking go. Give me a medal. I can roll down Downhill faster. I
0: would love to watch the slowest ski competition ever. Everyone just has to walk. You, you know, you have to walk sideways up uh-huh. a hill, looking like a jackass. <laughs> <laughs> kind of fun.
3: So, Edith and her youngest son joined the OST in 1990 when they were 60 and 21 years old, respectively. Hmm. But nobody else in their family had any idea that the two of them were a part of the cult for another four years. They kept this a secret for almost half a decade. Question can they – I just have a question. Can they, can they still speak to their parents and their, can they talk to their family? That's the whole point. They still – well, some of them that are really on the inside don't. But for the most part, the people that are out in the world, the whole point is that it's a secret society. So, yeah, they do. Okay. I like that. From the way it seems
2: from the descriptions I've read is that people got really into the community building of OST. It seems that when they showed up, especially these people like Edith who had a lot of money to burn – she showed up, she was got, given a little bit of the Jim Jones treatment where she got right to DeMambro. Mm. Or like, Jore or DeMambro would come forward and be like, my child, so lovely to see you. Uh, kisses on your wrist, kisses on your elbow. <laughs> French, French politeness. Okay. <laughs> they pull in there, but they see people dancing with the maypole dressed in little like, and, they, and they're all dressed normal. And what we're seeing is the very, you are being interviewed the second you arrive where what they understood implicitly was the slow build of an esoteric group to a cult. This was—they showed up just to fucking have some fun and to learn about crystals and how to join the uh, the hierophants and how to join the ascended masters a little bit, but in order just to live their lives. Mm. But you know what they found?
3: Uh oh, nothing but trouble.
2: Thank you. Some <laughs> of you did
0: it. Oh my god. So so Edith shows up. Uh, money just pouring out of her pockets, like yep. a bank teller trying to rob the place and trying to walk out in the back door. And then they're just like, "There's something about you that we like." <laughs> yep. That's basically it. That's basically okay. it.
3: Yeah. And that's the thing is that Edith and her son's membership was only exposed when a couple of Swiss reporters showed up on the family's doorstep asking questions because Edith's name was found amidst the rubble of the second of the four Ost massacres. Ooh. And she and her son would die in the third massacre after they assured their family that they'd never have anything to do with the OST ever again, especially after they did something so silly as to kill themselves in a mass ritual. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. man. Silly pants. Silly Good pants. There are a couple of Howie
2: Mandels over there. Yeah. I went, so I went, silly. I went,
0: into, I went into a Starbucks in June. I asked for a pumpkin, pumpkin spice latte. They were like, that doesn't come out until October. And I was like,
2: silly. Oh, I know that. Silly. I know that. And then you went. You burn yourself with a group of, of your friends, right, in the shape of the Templar cross. Absolutely. Of course. Ever making sure your body's all collapsed in a star pattern. Yeah, naturally. Very organized. Uh-huh. But this is why I think it really was an esoteric group that was, uh, at the beginning, it really was just about sharing knowledge and when you get into real esoteric thought a part of it it's all about it's just a constant initiation you're Mm -hmm. constantly bringing towards a goal of learning the real quote-unquote knowledge capital r capital k real knowledge but this is and in the third episode we're going to talk a lot about what was it suicide or was it murder or what's the difference between the two okay mostly it seems like a lot of these
3: people were just straight up murdered Mm -hmm. Mm mm-hmm But even though these members lived separate lives, they could still be called away by either Demombro or Jure at any time, and it was required that they never tell anyone where they were going. Hmm. Edith's other son, the one who didn't join the cult, said he remembered his mother getting a phone call and suddenly leaving a yachting holiday in Spain, oh. saying she wasn't feeling well and needed to immediately return to Geneva. Oh my god. These goodness. people were so fucking rich.
0: It's safe yes. to say, though, that uh, you want to be called by Geray, right? <laughs> like, it's never good when you get the call from Demambro. Like, yeah, because
2: Demambro's like... Ugh. You (laughs) must simply come back to Geneva because my tongue is dry. <laughs> well, I'm on a
0: yacht. It, there's the it's taking on water. Uh, but get I what? You get
2: to play with my sword.
3: <laughs> oh yikes. Well, that son now believes that his mother was called back by the cult. Just as she'd been called multiple times before and after, and every time she left, she was as vague as possible as far as where she was going. Hmm. Another example of a high-ranking member was Camille Pia, who is an executive for the Swiss watch company Piaget. Oh. For some perspective on how rich this guy was, on the low end, Piaget watches go for about eight grand. Damn. On the high, they're in the millions. Like, why you gotta have $3 million watches. Why you gotta
2: have a watch so expensive? What, does it, expensive. what does it do?
3: <laughs> yeah, what else does it do? Tells, it tells
0: time, like, super good. Inspector Gadget's watch wasn't even that expensive. <laughs> it, it was like a skateboard, too.
2: It was a part of his arm. <laughs>
3: what on earth? So because of his stature... DeMombro told Pierre that he was the reincarnation of Joseph of Arimathea. And as a consequence, Pierre got all his capes in one go. No Whoa. questions
2: asked. Boom, boom, boom. Oh, That's wow. all fuck it takes, bro. Boom, boom, boom.
3: <laughs>
0: That's crazy.
3: <laughs> but it wasn't just watchmakers and skiers that the OST attracted. I hope not. They completed the Swiss trifecta Uh-oh. by recruiting Thierry Huguenot whose grandfather, or Huguenot. It's very difficult. It's a very difficult Yeah, it Yeah. Terry Huguenot. Yeah, it would be actually be, a, yeah, Terry Huguenot. But, yeah, uh, yeah,
0: Terry... I can take the names
3: if you want me to. Terry yes, because but- let Kissel have the pronunciations. <laughs> yeah. Terry Huguenot. Yeah, I love this car dealership
0: <laughs> over in Port Plover.
3: Yeah, Terry Huguenot. Yeah, great guy. Anyway, his grandfather had made a killing. Running a chocolate factory. Shit. Jesus dude. Okay,
0: so, so they got a they got a watchmaker, they got a skier, they got a chocolate maker.
3: So the, the, the
2: triangle of stereotypes are, are complete. Yeah, dude. All they need now is a, a girl with huge tits and wooden shoes serving everybody. I don't know what else they, they drink there. I think they drink a beer in Switzerland or oh, something. Yeah. Form of <laughs> for sure. Ale or grog. Definitely.
3: Well, Terry is what we're gonna call him. Might as well just call him Terry instead of saying Terry sure. every time. I but, mean yeah. that
2: is his name, but we can't just, we'll just call him Terry.
0: <laughs> not, no
3: one really is going to be holding our feet to the fire on him. Well, don't be so sure. But <laughs> that's true. <laughs> well, Terry was ironically a dentist, but an extremely successful one at that. So he was able to climb the ranks to become one of the order's most important members. Wait, the dentist was also in the chocolate business? Well, his grandfather he's, was a chocolate, was he's a chocolate factory. He's creating his yeah. own customers! Yeah, dude, it's <laughs> that, called the... It's called the
2: That is called the... Um, The Hegelian dialectic, where you control the problem and the solution. It's all been a conspiracy. That's big tobacco.
3: That's crazy. (laughs) However, unlike the other three people we just mentioned... Terry survived, so quite a bit of our information on the cult comes from him. Specifically, the information comes from his book 54th, which was beautifully translated for us by research assistant Rachel, who informed us that she speaks fluent French after hearing our call for French speakers on episode one. Thank Why you, Rachel.
2: She, she can do everything. <laughs> How do people do that? Kids are taught better these days. Yeah. We are our, our My public school education as an elementary school student was essentially a jail for children.
3: Right, right. (laughs) Yeah, my Spanish teacher just spent all her time talking about her skin disease.
2: Disease Diseasio is how it's pronounced, Marcus. Thank you very much.
3: (laughs) So the question here is this. Why did four seemingly intelligent people such as these, along with hundreds of others, join a cult like the Order of the Solar Temple when they all led comfortable, successful lives? That is the question. Well, I think there are two answers here. Henry thinks, and I agree with this, that a lot of these (laughs) Fine, I agree. You gave to it, it it's to fine, him. I gave it to him. <laughs> My God, <laughs> well, I agree with him. When uh, he told me that a lot of these members, they probably just joined the order as like a thought exercise. It was a fun, exclusive church that made members feel special. With the added bonus, the poor people couldn't join, pretty much making it the premier yuppie cult. It's like the reverse of the subway punch card. <laughs> I understand. Yes.
2: It's a, it's definitely a a cult for people that use a lot of skincare products because sure. they can afford them. All right. This All is right. a but a part of it is the what we talked about with Scientology and the reason why it worked. Scientology worked because you got nerds to put themselves in costumes playing roles. Yeah. Nothing makes a bunch of people with money to burn feel better than essentially this is this is larping to an a very intense a very intense. end. when you look at when you read stuff like Alice Bailey and you read all the actual esoteric books that it seems that, that are building up these philosophy, it puts you on this incredible mystical journey to the center of the galaxy. And if you already got all of these millions of dollars, everything else in the world is fucking boring right. to you.
0: It turns a mission impossible to a mission possible, uh, which I think is really fun. You also mentioned how how Scientology worked. I say works. I just watched a commercial for their new television network. Yeah, like they are doing. Are they doing better
2: than ever? Yes, sort of in a way. They figured out how to mush their money around. They've realized that they. Uh, they can uh, evangelize in a new way. They're doing it the Casey Anthony defense lawyer way, where there be <laughs> have you spe- uh, the fucking ads around L.A. for Scientology are being ah. like, "We think you've heard about us. Are you curious?" It's right, stuff like right, that right. where they're they're playing with it. They're playing with that idea. Yes, yes. My sister is the best gift giver I've ever met of any person. It's Jackie Zabrowski. She shops all year, thinking about her family I then also have time because Squarespace is doing all the other ad work for me to go and work on my killdozer at home. So thank you, Squarespace, for allowing me to diversify in the best way possible for this country. Head to squarespace.com for a free trial when you're ready to launch. Go to squarespace.com slash left to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain.
1: Hey, guys. Sean Hayes here. Jason Bateman, Will Arnett, and I had a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to sit down with not one, not two is a must-listen. Don't miss out on this incredible opportunity to hear from three of the most influential figures in recent American history. Follow SmartLess on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also listen to SmartLess ad-free by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts.
3: As far as this being like an exclusive cult, a yuppie cult, something for rich people to do in their spare time, that was probably like the watch executive, like Camille Pillay, PA. Okay. That was probably his motivation for joining. But people like Voirnay and uh, Eugenio, they had a different incentive. Hmm. According to an article called The Pleasure of Believing by Hmm. Fabrice Clement, their reason—it's a great article. It's a scholarly article. It is very— It's just French. So French, everything's sexy. (laughs) Yeah, it's interesting. Well, he said that their reason for joining is pretty classic cult stuff. Uh, Both of them were going through extreme emotional turmoil when— Either Jeray or DeMombro scooped him up. Hmm. Cevarphiarne was in the midst of a deep depression because her children had all left home and her husband was always away running the ski accessory company. Oh goodness. Oh, well,
2: oh no. Oh, so so wait, I understand No, I know. I know it is. You it's can't difficult.
3: Be it's difficult. yeah, it's difficult. She was just she was lonely.
0: I mean, know? honestly, I'm you can't see me, but I'm playing the world's smallest fiddle with my fingers and then and then people could say that's a normal size fiddle. You're so You better big. be careful with that
2: fiddle, man, because yeah. your hands are so big you're gonna crush it <laughs> and the world's smallest fiddle I match is pretty expensive to replace so. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so she's just a single. She's just she has empty nest intro, Emptiness and syndrome, and her husband is out. Yeah, her so she's just out. a super
3: wealthy like stereotype. Again, use yes. the word. Yeah, okay. yeah, she's very much a stereotype. And as far as uh, a Eugénie went, I mean, and he actually, I mean, uh, vorne yeah, that's pretty typical, you know, bored rich person syndrome. Yeah, uh, but Eugénie actually had some. He actually had a pretty shitty past. Okay. Uh, when he kind of came in contact with these guys, his wife had just had a second trimester miscarriage. Ah. So it's very very traumatic right right Now it was Luc Git who brought Voarne into the fold. He actually saw her at one of his like new age bookstore appearances. Mm. She was pretty much I would say that uh, Voarne was like the best example of the type of person who was brought in by the new age bookstore talks. okay. And his her surviving son, he said that as far as he knew, his mother was just like attending lectures on eating right and living an ecologically spiritual life. You know, it's just doing the type of shit that like rich bored housewives do with their spare time. Right. Well, at the time, now it's good to do
2: to learn about uh, maybe how to eat right or do ecological spiritual life living. I don't know, but if they're telling you to give you all the money, if they want all your money, and they say, "Hey, we're going to Zurich to talk to aliens." at the bottom of the staircase that are all pretending to be Knights Templar, that's when you know you're doing dumb shit.
0: Anytime (laughs) you hear the sentence, and now it's time to pass the collection plate, it's time for you to stand up and get the hell out of there.
3: Yep. But Terry, on the other hand, he was brought in from the esoteric side by Joe DiMombro. Because Terry had been introduced to DiMombro by his wife's lucid dreaming coach.
0: (laughs) I have yeah, never dude. heard of a more wealthy fucking sentence in my life. Well, <laughs>
2: well, these what do you were, mean lucid dreaming not, coach? What is that? They were not wealthy. They were uh, they were like upper middle class. A part of what happened is that his wife had this miscarriage and essentially was duped. The, she, one of the OST's people came in and was, was scooped her up. This is a part of it where it's like, yes, there's a lot of rich, dumb people stuff happening right. here. But there's also people that were just swept in by seeing the rich, dumb people be involved. I think that's a part Ugh. of it, is that they saw these established members of society also belonging to the OST, and so they felt it was okay for them to join. When Terry was introduced to the group, it was done by this. These They were in pain after a miscarriage. This woman, Eveline Chartier... Which so which means Eve- Evelyn Charter was <laughs> she went and she told him like we can heal your depression by ex- by going through like having your fantasies be lived out in your dreams, and then she's like but actually now that you've been doing really well with the lucid dreaming, you're gonna be able to meet my guy.
0: Yeah. This is you my know, guy, Joe. Okay. You know, people follow rich people all the time. We're dealing with it right now on a national level. They're uh-huh. not smarter than you. No. I don't understand why this happens. Like, you talk to a rich person, and then you're like, oh, you must be super smart. you like, how'd you get so rich? You're like, I'm the great grandson of the dude who invented the little plastic thing that goes on top of the pen. He <laughs> patented that.
2: And he's yeah. like, you're just a moron. You're <laughs> a fucking moron. No, yeah. It's like Kanye West being allowed to design shoes. Have you ever felt a Yeezy? You can, like, pull a Yeezy apart with your hand. Oh.
3: <laughs> well, Terry said that the first time he met Joe DiMombro, he noted that Joe dressed much younger and slimmer than a paunchy middle-aged man should have, wearing a black jacket, an open shirt, and tight pants. Ooh. Hey, Lorde
2: Terry, hey, you're looking sad, huh? Hey, look, you see my chain? It is very lit, huh? <laughs> hey, I stand wearing my Chelsea boots. i <laughs> really much young, very young. <laughs> I mean, that's the uh, the French.
0: You get you get like uh, extra charisma points for just being French, because yeah. in this country, he's
3: just the assistant manager at the Bunny Ranch.
0: <laughs> like that is,
3: it's not a good look. Uh, it wasn't just the miscarriage that was bothering Terry. Apparently, his entire life had been marred by tragedy and failure. Hmm. So when he asked DeMambro for answers, why? Joe told him that all this happened because Terry was paying for the sins of a past life. And Terry, looking to attach his pain to pretty much anything at this point, said... Fuck yeah, dude. That makes a lot of sense. Doesn't it? Everything I
2: say makes sense. Look how tiny my jacket is. Should a 50 or 60 or 70-year-old man be wearing a jacket such as this? No. I speak to my ancestors and they gave me this jacket. The nice Templars. uh, Very very fashionable.
0: It's never good when in a past life you were like Rod Stevenson, who was known as the public flasher and masturbator.
3: That's not good. Eventually, D'Amambro would convince Terry that he was the reincarnation of Rom, who was a priest of the Old Testament king Melchizedek. Of course. Yeah. Can't yeah. make that up. Yeah, because it's so specific, see? Yeah, <laughs> see? That's how they get you. Because it's specific, right. why would you make that up? It's so specific. Can't make it up. Yeah, it would be uh, yeah I mean, impossible if, to do. It. You it's impossible. That you was, if you told him he was fucking Merlin, that's stupid. That's dumb. Whatever, yeah, yeah dude. That's
2: uh, really yeah, dumb. Yeah, anybody could be Merlin, yeah. But, but if you tell me I'm Merlin's cousin, girl Right. <laughs> Right. That's interesting.
3: Yeah, absolutely. But of course, that discovery only came after several extremely expensive seminaries where Terry and dozens of other members were taught the techniques needed to discover one's own reincarnated past. Ooh within months, Terry said that he and his wife Natalie had abandoned their old social life completely, cutting off old friends and even their parents, because all their time was devoted to Demombro doing things like, quote, unquote, daily spiritual gymnastics at dawn. What the hell is that? Now, what is that? I, I think it's like gymnastics? jumping
2: jacks, but you just think about them. I see. But Demombro. This is where it's the this is where the news started tightening for a lot of people. Because mm-hmm. what he did was that you there were full on surface level shit that you could do with the OST. That's where it started. The the little parties, the holistic talks, all this mm-hmm. kind of shit. DeMombro, you got to meet when things got serious for you and slowly but surely he told you you cannot have family and friends and truly live the esoteric life. Ah, so they Which, do cut you off. But it's he's correct in a way. Where it's true, this is why people join monastic societies, because the idea is that you can only focus on a thing. So in a way, he was telling them the truth, which is like, if we want to be a wizard... You have to be doing this twenty four seven. Like you got to be, you got to be the walk and a walk and talking the Turk talk in order to do it.
3: <laughs> I see, but it, it seems but manipulative. The, but those are the people at the very, very top. Okay, like people like uh, Edith Warne, okay. Like she was more like mid level. Okay, uh, so she was keeping everything a secret. But the people at the very, very top, people like you know Terry Eugenio, uh or mm. Eugenol, uh, mm. yeah, they. Got cut off completely, and once they were in, completely. Well, what's the benefit of being at the top then? Uh, you get to uh, be a master of the fucking universe, Ben. Yeah, but you bro. just hang
2: out with this sweaty toad guy. No, you don't. <laughs> just <laughs> hang out with some sweaty dude. You're hanging out with the the lineage of Jesus Christ's apostles. You're hanging out with one of the ancient pharaohs of Egypt. That's what Demombro was. Yes, in this current yeah. physical plane, he looked like Danny DeVito with filth on. <laughs> right, that's the problem. But- <laughs> But but you're not hanging. You're trying to ascend this life, Kissel. You're mm-hmm. trying to do inside transformation. You're trying mm. to join the legions of the Knights Templar.
0: All mm. right. Uh,
2: you know what? I'm not sh- I'm not sure about all that.
0: Oh.
3: <laughs> I'm gonna go ahead and say a good old Ben Kissel. I
4: don't know about
3: that. You're being mean to me. I don't know. I-, I all
0: I know is if I ever have a kid and they join a cult, one phone call. It's all gonna take that's all it'll take me to convince them it's not good. Uh, I honestly
2: I would love to see you walking mm-hmm. through the so- order solar temple with all the tiny little knights templars all hanging from your arms. Yeah, <laughs> as you're yeah, just exactly. like me back my son, and then you get there and you're like, "That's not my son." Oh shit, I've just been hammered for days.
3: Little <laughs> <laughs> well, Liam Neeson, I could do a, I could do a Taken scene. Well, once Terry and his wife Natalie were in completely, DeMombro introduced them to Luke Jerre. Okay. Whom Terry still describes with a sense of awe and wonder despite everything that's happened, which is actually extremely common among former cult members. The best example being when former Scientologists talk about L. Ron Hubbard. Right. Like, he's still they still talk about about. They still say L.R.H. and they still talk about him like he's a god. Right. He's got the body of a god, that I know. <laughs> <laughs> well, here is an excerpt from Terry's book talking about Luke Jerre. Immediately, the allure of this doctor seduced us. He had a long
2: and well-drawn body, thin waist, broad shoulders. They carry high a beautiful head, moving and romantic, a gaze dark and profound that carried a sudden sadness in an instant, crazy hair, a lock of which swept over his forehead.
0: Just, you know what, man? Think about him on the can. (laughs) Just all of these these are biological. He was a handsome guy.
2: Jure was a handsome guy.
0: Yeah, I saw a picture. He's not that I mean, come on. Am I he's not triple the, H here. In the <laughs>
2: annals of true crime and the paranormal, where every single other fucking character that we read about is described as handsome, yeah. Luke Jure is actually handsome. Yeah. I don't find Peter Curtin to be handsome. No. I don't find any one of the Ted Bundy I I under I. I okay.
3: Kind of. Template.
2: We talk about this in the live show. He looks like George W. Bush. <laughs> he does. He really does.
3: <laughs> All right. So, okay. So they're into him. Yeah, they're into him. And by the time Terry was finally done with the Order of the Solar Temple in the early 90s, he was given damn near his entire income to Demombro and Jure, keeping only a $150 a month Jeez. for himself and... And his family. But
0: this is like, this is happening during the 80s, mm-hmm. where yep. we we knew what attractive guys looked like, like the, oh, the, the lead singer from Stryker, or, you know, <laughs> like Rad. Sebastian
3: Bach. Sebastian, Sebastian Bach. Bach. Oh, Sebastian we got, we got Bach's some, a dreamboat, yeah. Of course, that's, yeah. that's, a, that's a handsome <laughs>
0: guy.
2: I don't think this dude, this dude doesn't hold a candle to them. But he's talking about leaves, he's talking <laughs> about the power of crystals, he's... He's looking at you in the eye. Yeah, he's got Brooke's hand and the other, you know, hands, right? And he's just like, as you, you're locked in his eyes, but his tongue is licking her knuckles. Well, that right? just makes me In happy. a way, you feel it. In a way, you're like getting all that vibe, where like, oh, you're getting like sort of cucked, but you like it. Yeah, I'm like a spiritual cuckled. <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right. I'm not, And 150 know. bucks a month in France was easy for them because kids literally drank wine as food.
3: <laughs> <laughs> no. From what we've said so far about the Solar Temple's beliefs, it kind of sounds like their main focus was reincarnation. Mm-hmm. But reincarnation was really just the hook to make people feel and seem more important. Okay. Their actual beliefs were a mix of New Age mumbo jumbo, oh. Rosicrucian fiddle faddle, <laughs> Catholic hocus pocus. Whoa. There's a lot of
2: fighting words here. <laughs>
3: yeah, a lot of them. And esoteric Christianity. Okay.
2: When you start reading though uh, into it, esoteric Christianity and all this kind of stuff, it has really fun stuff. Yeah. But it's so, it's really thick. If you read any of, like, M- Madame Blavatsky, if you read any, like, trying to read Alice Bailey, this stuff is very, very intense. Here's a little example of a quote from her, another from quote from her book that you have to fight through, right? Okay. Initiation leads to the stream that, once entered, sweeps a man onward until it carries him to the feet of the Lord of the world, to the feet of his Father in Heaven, to the feet of the threefold Logos. The initiation leads to the cave within whose circumscribing walls the pairs of opposites are known, and the secret of good and evil is revealed. It leads to the cross, and to that utter sacrifice which must transpire before perfect liberation is attained, and the initiate stands free of all Earth's fetters, held by naught in the three worlds. Got the feet, and I'm thinking butthole <laughs> is the second part. And then she's
0: up to the cross. Maybe that's like the sternum area. Uh-huh. But yeah, the logos
2: be- is an interesting idea. I think it's very interesting. Okay. That's- interesting. That's a whole, that's a, we'll do Gnostic c- c- Christian bullshit one day.
0: Yeah, I can't wait. I love that. All <laughs>
3: oh, so easy to parse. <laughs> yeah, it makes all the sense in the world.
2: I tell you, this is how we will end last podcast in the left. At some point, we are just going to be like, "All right, we're punishing the listener by we're just doing all of it. We're just going to do a twenty-hour series oh, on esotericism God. and just being like, if this doesn't kill you, you weren't listening to this podcast." <laughs>
3: But the beliefs of the Order of the Solar Temple had one important twist. The Knights Templar were alive and well and living among them.
2: <laughs> yes, prepare their
3: souls for transition. Cleave the demons.
2: All of them. She fucking love Tights Templar.
0: Sir, your poutine has arrived. <laughs>
2: oh good, oh good. <laughs> I'm gonna be a Knights Templar, suit, said <laughs> the man with the mustache. <laughs>
3: Luke Luc Jure claimed to be the reincarnation of Saint Bernard de Clairvaux, who, while not a knight himself, is considered by some to be the most important figure in Templarism as he was largely responsible for the Templars' acceptance into the Catholic Church. You know, would this guy be happy
0: to come back as Jure?
2: You know, like, no one... He may not have... Well, the difference was that Saint Bernard de Clairvaux was given the fucking full-on... Yege from the fucking church to kill whoever he wants with the power of Jesus Christ I think that he would actually be upset with the
3: demotion when he shows up exactly that's the whole thing that's the thing is that Jure that reincarnation of Saint Bernard de Clairvaux that was in addition to Jure also being the third reincarnation of of Jesus Christ. How the hell do you do that? Oh. Well, I think that makes. I think that what he's implying is that Saint Bernard is the second reincarnation of Jesus Christ. Yeah, I see. Yeah, you oh. get it. I don't get it, but yes, I see. <laughs> <laughs> so, using this authority, Geray laid out the goals of the Order of the Solar Temple as thus: their mission was to one. Establish the correct notions of authority and power in the world. Which, of course, would mean Jure and DeMambro. Right. Two, affirm the primacy of the spiritual over the temporal. You don't need your money. We're teaching you how to use your brain and your soul. You don't (laughs) need all this
2: money.
0: Would love
3: the money. Would love it. Three, give back to man the consciousness of his dignity.
2: Don't know.
0: (gasps) How do you get that without money?
3: Four, help humanity through its transition. Pew, pew, what? <laughs> what? <laughs> boom, boom, boom. Five, participate in the assumption of the earth in its three planes, body, soul, and spirit. Okay. Hmm. Six, work towards the union of the churches and to work towards the convergence of Christianity and Islam. Oh. World peace, perhaps. Okay. And seven, prepare for the return of Christ in solar glory. What What is the solar glory? I'm
0: not not sold on that. I just need to know what the solar glory is. <laughs> if it, partially,
2: it, uh, well, there's two leanings. The, there is the Christ is spiritual return. We'll come and he will absol- absolve all sins. We will, he will usher in the age of Aquarius that we'll all be dancing with no bras inside of. It's either mm-hmm. that or okay. literally means the sun will explode and we will <laughs> all go to heaven.
3: Okay. Uh, all Most of that sounds pretty okay as far as cults go. Yeah. That seven-point doctrine was the version that Jure gave the squares when he was making his pitch during lectures. Ooh! It, not surprisingly, leaves out quite a bit of the actual beliefs of the Order of the Solar Temple, which, it's. this isn't all that different from how Scientology does it. You know, you can't just spring Xenu on people right off the bat. Can't do it. How are you going to take all their money along the way? Yeah, you got to massage them, so by the time they get to the point where they're at the top... They have to believe it because of sunk cost. I'm not a
0: stupid idiot. I didn't make a massive mistake (laughs) 10 years ago, left my entire family
3: behind. No way. But the main thing that Jure left out was the Order's belief in transit. And this is very important to the Order of the Solar Temple's belief system. Okay. See, starting in 1986, just a couple of years after the founding of the Order, the tone of Jure and Demombro's teachings took a more apocalyptic tone. It was done on purpose to make the danger and the
2: stakes being r- risen yep. to the members of the OST. What that Ugh. will do, it makes you super fucking horny. I guess so. Because you know, you know the end's coming. So mm-hmm. You know those but juices are going. DeMambro's getting better looker, better looking and better looking each week you go. Because, no, he's not. I mean, he's got that sword. He's waving it around. He's got that nice cape. <laughs>
0: Uh, I guess so. They always go with this route here.
3: Yeah. Well, uh, at first, members were told to prepare for the end of the world. But okay. the cool thing to look forward to <laughs> was that the members of the OST were the only ones special enough to be survivors. So they'd have the whole planet to themselves, or at the very least, Quebec. That's great. Quebec? They
0: could live in an apocalyptic war zone in Quebec. <laughs> How wonderful. No, Quebec what would stay
3: nice. Quebec would stay nice. That's what they're trying to say. Oh, okay. Okay. Both Jure and DeMombros said they learned about all this during their revelations, and these revelations surrounded four sacred objects: the Holy Grail, the original menorah, the original. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Not the like one that you light at Hanukkah. Okay. That's got I think like eight candles. Oh, don't even crazy start it. Nights? You don't know. We, we don't know. <laughs> Before we say it, we do believe, not know. I believe, I well, that's why, no, eight. it's got eight, because it's Eight Crazy Nights, right?
0: <laughs> I, that is an Adam Sandler movie. That is <laughs> not... Perhaps, <laughs> yes, yes, but, but I do believe... Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it's but, actually a great movie. I like... It's animated. Yeah. I like the yeah, ref. He's cute. A,
2: it's really yeah, it's fun. Funny.
3: Yeah, I think this one's got six. It's like the one that was in the first temple. I thought it okay.
2: had nine.
3: Don't know. Anyway, the original Minoru is one of them. It also had the Ark of the Covenant. Ooh. And... The sword Excalibur. Fuck yeah, all the nerd <laughs> clits. Such nerds. Yeah, <laughs> is... All the nerd clits are being
2: rubbed here. You got okay. the Excalibur, it's really nice. Yeah.
3: And the world was going to end in late 1993, early 1994, or thereabouts. Okay. But as the 80s marched on, Jare and DeMombro slowly began to move away from the idea of the OST inheriting the Earth. By the late 80s, the buzzword around the cult was transit. Okay. Beep, beep. Chika, 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 chick. Pew, pew.
4: <laughs> 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 Poosh, moosh, moosh.
3: <laughs> In transit, an OST member would leave their physical bodies and travel on a death voyage by a path of fire to a planet orbiting the star Sirius. It's like the fucking, it's like Independence Day. <laughs> yeah, dude. But this stuff, uh, is, this is old. This is old thought. Yeah.
2: Like, so this Sirius stuff has been around for, uh, I mean, Madame Blavatsky pauperized, popularized it, but it's been around for quite a bit. These guys are just taking old stuff and representing uh, But yeah. it seems like it's getting a little
0: dangerous
3: here yeah, it's all a ma- we talk about transit. Yeah, this like, uh, esoteric stuff, it's it's all a mashup culture. It's like a Girl Talk album. Don't know what that means, but <laughs> it's interesting. Yeah, Henry, you know Girl Talk, right? What's a Girl like Talk? It's a, it's a guy that mashes up a whole bunch of pop songs to make new songs. Why he it called up Girl a Talk? B- he's a DJ. It's, he's a DJ. Oh, he's a DJ. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just mashup. You
2: know the guy that... (laughs)
3: That's beatboxing. That's beatboxing, not DJing. Yeah. Well, the Order of the Solar Temple considered transit to be a purifying ordeal through which members returned to the Grand White Lodge of Sirius. But the thing was, even though they talked a big game, to most members, transit was not a concrete thing. I mean, no. a lot of them thought the transit was a metaphor for a change of consciousness. Yeah. Or at the very most, uh like walking through a magic mirror or like taking Ooh. a trip on a spaceship. D- which just people... I mean, all just as likely.
0: Yeah. <laughs> sure. But these people, they're already rich except for some that they are already doing.
3: I just don't understand why. What were they so bitchy about? What it's they- finding money. It's fi- or it's finding money. It's finding meaning in life. Like they want some sort of meaning. It's something to do. Get another yacht. <laughs> no, buddy. <laughs> it
2: really is about meaning, and it's the and it's and it's the mixture. It's like when you get everybody in the room, that's a, that's one thing. It's like when we, it's important when we approach cults and like what we've learned. Is that even these people can be super fucking vulnerable, you have this yeah. whole group of people that are all bu- they're all bolstering each other up and, and and it seems for a while they're not it's not that it's not that they're taking it seriously it 's that they've grown to trust Demombro and Jure Well, and this idea of being like, well they're not going to hurt us they they look at how uh, look at how evolved they are when it cuts to Demombro being like, "I do not even need the mirror to trim my mustache I do it with my I feel it with my tongue. <laughs> And I just got it where my phone uh, hits it. So, but there
0: like, are a ooh. lot of ways to find meaning in life that don't involve you committing suicide and then going to another plane. Yep. When John Candy wanted to find meaning in
3: life, he just bought a CFL team. <laughs> and then he was really, really into it. But these guys were not, that's what we're saying is that the vast majority of them were not interested in committing suicide. Like mm. when they heard about transit, they're like, oh, it's a metaphor. It's a change of consciousness. Because I think for a lot of okay. people, like the Order of the Solar Temple, it was a, a social club. know You know, it's like some some people join country clubs and go golfing. These nerds joined an esoteric secret society and performed rituals in basements.
2: And they played upon the very nature of an esoteric group. The very nature of a mystery school is that everything is parable for actual concrete information. So when they hear transit, they're expecting... Like they, in a way, it's a symbolic thing. All of it's because it's all supposed to be symbolic. But they didn't know that they had in their back pocket. Being like, "We're gonna fucking kill all these people."
0: Well, yeah. I mean, that's the thing. Everyone thinks that they're like. Everyone always projects more intelligence than their leaders actually have yeah. onto their leaders, and it's like, I guess keep it keep it vague. Yeah, that's what you gotta always do as a cult vague. leader,
3: I guess. Yeah, no one thought in the eighties that the whole like path of fire part was eventually going to be real. No oh, one man. thought that. The eighties were a great time too. TV
0: was starting to get good. Magnum P.I. was out there solving crimes. Columbo was badass. <laughs> T.J. TJ Hooker. TJ
2: Hooker. TJ, I mean, T.J. Hooker. TJ Sex Worker, please. Yes. <laughs> and now, in, uh, we. When it comes to this story too, though, what I think though is it's a gradual understanding. The yeah. the unconscious sub the subconscious knowledge. Damember knew that he was going to lead them all down the fact. The the ones that were the true adepts, the 15 immortals that would end up being in the top ranks that would help kill everybody else, mm. they knew what this, the, the thing was
3: from the very beginning. Yeah. But they're I also
0: think. very egotistical themselves, huh? Yeah. So they're all egomaniacs yes. in their own right.
3: Oh, yeah. And there were definitely hints throughout the 80s that uh, things were a little more serious with transit than people thought. Because Demanderboro, he was telling everyone, you got to be on 24-hour alert for transit to Sirius all the time i I might call you up trans might happen tomorrow so always be around the phone always let us know where you are at all times so you can be ready to go not good and then you had jure saying shit like this quote liberation is not where human
2: beings think it is death can represent an essential stage of
3: life Oh, this is getting bad. I don't like where it's heading. Mm Mm-hmm. But most OST members didn't have September of 1994 marked on their calendars as their time to die. I mean, as we said, most of these people just enjoyed the community aspect, the exclusivity, and, of course, like the fun ritual of the whole thing. Right. Unfortunately, though... We don't know a hell of a whole lot about their rituals or their day-to-day operations. Because as we stressed in the first episode, this was a secret society. And they were damn good at keeping just enough secrets to keep themselves mysterious. Okay. But there were a couple of defectors, including our man Terry. And defecting actually had a ritual all of its own. When a person left the Order of the Solar Temple, the order would, would either boil their belongings, oh. set them on fire... Or just put them in garbage bags.
2: Honestly, it's very cleansing to do if you have an ex or somebody like that that you don't want to. It's really good to get rid of all their stuff and a yeah. sort of symbolic fire. It helps. But it's mm-hmm. not
0: the, you know, one of the opening scenes in the movie Dirty Work, which is a totally underrated comedy. Hugely underrated last, comedy. Hugely. When Norm MacDonald's girlfriend is throwing all of his shit out, including his popcorn machine. <laughs> <laughs> this is much more nefarious than that.
2: Yeah. No, I mean, no. They were just trying to get rid of him. Actually, the, the ones that got out that had their shit fucking set on fire were really lucky. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but why would they even? What, what does that smell like? When you're boiling all this guy's fucking sweaty ass shoes, Blech. nasty ass clothes. It's just a part. It's just part of life, man. It's part of the fucking circle of life. You've seen Lion King.
0: You know someone <laughs> tried it. You know somebody had a little had a little spoon of that soup. <gasps>
2: Ugh. Mm, you know what happened? Just to taste it.
3: <laughs> yeah, you know. See, garbage bags were an important order accoutrement as they represented the pollution of the earth and garbage bags were also used to represent traitors because anyone who left the group was naturally a traitor. And trash. And trash. So they're punny with it now. They're they're real punny with it. In fact, they used garbage bags on regular members as well. In one particularly goofy ritual, Jure would force people to wear plastic bags over their heads as a symbol of their alienation from nature.
2: Check, please. Yes. Yes. (laughs) That that is a good place to do it. Um, But you could see it in the very structure of their chalets. The original, the, and the way I, my, I imagine in my head is that you kind of have these sermons that oh, are and, done. Uh,
3: By the way, chalets are little Swiss cabins. They're nice. Oh, They're naive. <laughs> And today's dad moment
0: brought to you by Marcus Parks. By the it's way, nice son, that he did. Some people don't
3: know. I didn't he, know. I had to look up. I I knew a chalet was a structure of some kind, but well, I did know. you ever have in my head I what was, a chalet was? I was
0: mocked when I was maybe a sophomore. We were driving. My friend Charlie. I said, "Oh,
2: there's a cheese chalet," and he's like, "It's chalet," and they didn't yeah, let dude. me live that down for a long time. <laughs> I, I thought it was a hard tea. And if you ever eat at there, they have a Boston Market in Canada that's called Swiss chalet, which is kind of fucked up now that you think about it because it's literally rotisserie chicken place, and now you know it's like they made a real Swiss chalet in the Order of the Solar Temple, which is fucked. Weird. Um, but the, you could see that they did like a sermon up top, but then they had their downstairs cathedral where the real shit happened. Yeah. So you would be up there for a while and then be like, But now it's time for an exercise. Let's all go downstairs. Uh And then they would do these little lessons. If you learn anything from the Rosicrucians, they would do that kind. It's they seem to steal a lot from their pattern where they'd have like a theme. And then you're also talking. You are slowly bringing different groups in. To do one club will come in, one level of initiation will go in, uh-huh. then the next level will go in. They're all coming out seeing like, We saw incredible things. Now you know that you want to get to the next level of an initiation because you want to see what they fucking saw. Mm-hmm. But if you just see this from the outside world, you just see a bunch of idiots with garbage
0: bangs on their heads. Yes. <laughs> like It's something. like acting school.
2: Sure, You've been yeah. to have you ever seen of the, the lawns outside of a theater department? Oh, it's yeah. fu- it's awful. It's we did terrible <laughs> things for years. I spent <laughs> Tens of thousands of dollars rolling around, (laughs) pretending to be a tree.
1: Hey, guys. Sean Hayes here. Jason Bateman, Will Arnett, and I had a -a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to sit down with not one, not two is a must listen don't miss out on this incredible opportunity to hear from three of the most influential figures in recent American history follow SmartLess on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts you can also listen to SmartLess ad-free by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts
3: <laughs> well all the garbage bags bu- bullshit like that wasn't even close to their goofiest customs okay each member had a special chair, and no one could sit in anyone else's chair lest they contaminate their own energy with someone else's butt. How could mm. you make this more of an ass-jackie cult? <laughs> oh, assigned seating. <laughs> That'll do. Yeah, because right? yeah, if you sit on someone else's butt seat... You get their butt energy. Yeah, their butt energy gets in your butt. There's butt yeah. <laughs> All right. You fucking idiot.
2: No, <laughs> I don't I sit yeah, in your just, chair. But I'm mostly just because of your horrible farts. What
0: are you talking?
2: Oh, are you mocking my recliner that I have at home?
0: Which I do sit in nude on a regular basis. Ah, Don't sit in it.
3: All right. Okay. These guys, they were also required to wash lettuce seven times before serving it every time. Okay, OST changes to OCD. What is going on? And they could only walk on grass with bare feet. But as far as the rituals went, defectors said that the OST leaders regularly used hallucinogens in their rituals, which are usually done under a full moon while wearing movie-quality medieval robes. And you know that
2: it kind of worked, that it started with them. It's real light. And then they have, once a month, these specific rituals. We're like, this shit's serious. Mm -hmm. Because they would go out there, they're all taking the fucking sacrament and staring at Juret. Who they could not look in the eye because ah. he b- would become the Christ mm-hmm. during these moments.
3: Ugh. And these rituals done in OST clubhouses across Switzerland and Quebec were highly theatrical. Okay. They had slides, Ooh. they had lasers, and they had seemingly impossible visions. It was said. That all of the holy relics, the Grail, the Excalibur, the Menorah, and the Ark, would materialize at the command of Damambro, or Geray. And there was a B team as well. The smaller, less impressive ceremonies were run by what they called regional commanders <laughs> which i'm sure sounds much it's one of those things that probably sounds better in french like commandeur yeah, region. regional yeah one of those <laughs> <laughs> oh god and these guys were head were the heads of the separate lodges and were also members of the elder brothers of the rosy cross the They're, Rosy Cross? Yeah.
0: Oh, we don't want to get into that. <laughs> yes. I've seen that film.
3: Uh-oh. <laughs> Their orders came from Damambro, who, quote-unquote, received his orders from the Zurich masters, which the order, order called the Synergy of the Temple, okay. or Synergy, one of the two.
2: It's setting the seat. Of going down there and you're tripping balls on acid. Maybe you know so, you're on acid, maybe you don't. Uh,
4: you go down to the. If you
2: look at the actual pictures of their ritual room, it looked like a giallo film. It yeah. was red, stark reds and mm. chrome. And at these giant mirrors, you sit in these little congregational chairs. You got fucking DeMambro doing like wigging you out moves, like doing <laughs> the right. like classic, like, like, oh, am I touching your face? Am I touching your Uh-oh. face? Like that kind of shit. And he's like, behold, the Holy Grail. Uh-huh. And then the Holy Grail just appears behind him in the mirrors. And you just got a whole room of people going,
0: oh, shit, right. oh, shit. Like, see, this actually sounds kind of fun.
2: Yeah. Why can't yeah. they just
0: leave it at that? Like, and why don't these cults just stop and be like, and there that was, and now go back to being a normal person and come back next month. Well,
3: what Start we do charging a cover. No. I think what we don't realize is that there are actually hundreds of these uh, organizations, these esoteric organizations that have existed throughout the centuries. There are plenty of people around that are doing this type of shit and are having a fucking great time with it. And then just go back to working at Chase Bank and approaching Henry whenever he talks about (laughs) aliens. Yeah. It's just that this one happened to get a little uh, hot near the end. Yeah. there was no ritual more important to these guys, though, or at least none that we know of, than the Templar ritual conducted by Damambro himself. The whole thing was kicked off by a guided meditation first, which was then followed by Alice Bailey's Great Invocation, which Henry will now read.
2: From the point of light within the mind of God, let light stream forth into the minds of men. Let light descend on earth, from the point of love within the heart of God. Let love stream forth into the hearts of men. May Christ return to earth, from the center where the will of God is known. Let purpose guide the little wills of men, the purpose which the matters know and serve from the center, which we will call the race of men, let the plan of love and light work out, and may it seal the door where evil dwells. Let light and love and perware, this restore the plan on earth. If Christ did
0: return, he would. His mind would be blown by garbage bags alone. <laughs> Being like, what is that? Is that plastic?
2: Well, Quit rustling! <laughs> Everyone sit still. I cannot concentrate on the invocation when you are rustling like the most beautiful thing I've ever seen in the world. That is a, from a film called American Beauty.
3: Oh yeah. Well, think of it this way. I mean, you've just had a coffee. Uh, a coffee cup filled with a nice cuppa. And a whole bunch of acid. A bunch of acid. So you're sitting there. You're starting to get going with the hallucinogens. You're starting to peak a little bit. Right. Demombros reading this shit. The lights are coming down. Lasers Lasers are starting to shoot out Fun. of the fucking walls. Cool. And unfortunately... We don't really know what the actual ritual was.
0: They just sit there and they trip their fucking nuts off.
3: We're not sure bit. exactly how they went through it, you okay. know, and what all the steps were. I mean, we got bits and pieces. Uh, like we know that sometimes Demombro would like let people hold his sword that he yeah. said was a genuine Templar artifact that's, given to him in a previous life. That's Dude, what you want, he a had bunch, to fucking. A
0: room full of he... people on acid. Give him a weapon. <laughs> See what happens.
2: Honestly, man, it is it's a nerd's dream. You're talking about a nerd's dream, they're all scared of him with this sword. He's up there going like <laughs> hey, sir, look, there? they get to like take it and they're like Oh, cool instead of being like, I'm gonna go. Which normally <laughs> right. what happens when you're on a date and you show somebody your swords. Yes.
3: <laughs> <laughs> but even though this all sounds goofy, as cult stuff always does, we do know that the visions Demombro produced in his rituals were fantastically realistic. Although it probably comes as no surprise that they were all a complete and total fabrication. Hmm. They were all the work of a special effects guy named Tony Dutrois. Who helped DeMombro pull the wool over everyone's eyes for the greater good.
2: Hey, the roll. You want the? You want a cup? Period. <laughs> hey, three p.m. I get you a cup. Hey, Tony always does. Don't you worry about me, my friend. I make a fake cup. I make a real cup. and do all of, the, all of my bullshit to my fucking truck, bro.
3: So he's got a tech guy. He's got a tech guy, and he had a fantastic tech guy. And oh. I, I couldn't find a whole lot of information on Tony Dutois' background. Like, I don't know if this guy, if his background was in like stage production or if he worked on movies or what. Hmm. But this guy, who seems to be a relatively small part of the OST's operation, he's eventually going to be the pivot to this whole fucking story. Okay. But the visions weren't even close to the end of the river of bullshit coming from DeMombro and Jure. Jure would walk around the room curing non-existent cancers, touching people and saying, You had cancer. I just cured it. (laughs) Wow. It's like Oprah. Yeah, you got it. Now you don't. I don't have it. You know, <laughs> See? No kidding. See how much happier
2: you are? I'm you so didn't know happy. you had cancer, and now you don't have it anymore. Anyway. I don't even have <laughs> it. Yeah, yeah. You never knew, but now you don't. I don't have
3: it. <laughs> I love this. Now, one member said that when Jure looked at her, it felt as if his third eye had penetrated her body. Yeah. <laughs> While another said that he shared knowledge with her just by touching her forehead with a single finger. Magic
2: it, fucking French touch, dude. Yeah, I don't we want to don't be have a... this in America. Our fingers are too big and wet.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to be like a total skeptic here, but maybe it was the fucking acid. <laughs> maybe it's the acid, not it helps, the mom man. It disgusting helps. disgusting finger.
3: Uh, acid always helps. Just ask Charles Manson. Oof. I mean, acid is... I mean, it doesn't help if you want to have a
0: productive life or like a family. It helps but if you sometimes... want to
3: convince people that you're God.
0: Yes, it yeah, man, which is the goal. And yeah. honestly, that, that's why just look in the mirror and realize you are
3: your own God. Yeah. Because exactly. that's what we've always done on acid. Yeah, exactly. Now, it's also worth mentioning that it's estimated that two thirds of the order of the solar temple were women. You, you. And of course, it wasn't long before sex became a central part of the OST's rituals. It's pretty easy to figure out <sighs> which, one, which members of the OST were fucking.
2: Uh, I mean, you can tell I fuck. Look at my leather jacket with the man. Wear a leather jacket if he was not simply slick to the touch with the pussy juice, huh? (laughs) Excuse me, I have some kind of chicken wing stuck in my mustache.
3: Cool guys all around. Jure started telling people in the late 80s that his quote-unquote spiritual strength was running low. And in order to summon the strength that he needed to conduct rituals, he absolutely needed to have sex with the female member of his choosing, Immediately before that ritual was done. Isn't that such... It's just
0: an interesting cure. Yeah. Some people get on an exercise bike, but... (laughs) My God, wouldn't you believe it?
3: I have to have sex with you. Have
0: to have
2: sex with you? I don't even make this stuff up. The Knights Templar told me. Aren't you scared?
3: (laughs) These guys even managed to work a little sexiness into the rituals themselves. One member testified to a ritual in which two women undressed as Wagner played in the background. When they got down to their undies, a light bulb fell from a spotlight, severed the head of a rose, and smashed to the floor. And when fucking the glass cool. broke, DiMombro pulled out his special little Templar sword and yelled, By the powers has visited me, I trace a protective circle around this holy assembly. And with that, the special effects stopped, and DiMombro looked to be responsible. Fuck yeah, Ooh. dude. That's yeah, look at this thing sucks. I made happen. And then made it stop. Wow. I, honestly, though, that's
2: so... I, yeah, oh, man. Honestly, it's a great idea. I want this for my 40th birthday. Like, do that for it's you. It's such a fun setup. I know it's all bad. It all ends bad. But the lead up, like, if I, I would just keep this no, cooking at
0: this level. We'll do it. But
2: it'll be Marcus and Henry and
0: I in our underwear. <laughs> yes. And then we'll just have Holden come and chop a rose in half.
2: And it, I mean, it won't look the same, but... There you go, fucking man. I fucking chopped the head off the fucking rose, dude, so... Can I go? <laughs>
0: Hold
3: on, <laughs> McNeely. Check out his show, Wizard of the Processor. <laughs> but Demombro and Geray didn't limit their intrusion into the sex lives of their congregation to their own pants. Demombro had continued his practice of pairing up couples, sometimes breaking up marriages in the process, putting together people that he deemed, quote-unquote, cosmically compatible.
2: Uh, <sighs> you are a very big woman. I like to see how big you are. Very tall, very good. Tiny man. Fucker, make a <laughs> medium child. <laughs>
0: uh So Demombro is like Ashley Madison,
2: yeah, just breaking up relationships for love
0: that doesn't really
3: exist. Yeah, it's just like you guys aren't good together. Uh, so you're not even good together. You just say the two of you aren't cosmically compatible. They but, could be in a happy relationship, but you say it's a way to control the congregation. How, it's what? a way to control everyone by saying, I mean, it's controlling the most intimate part of their life, right. their marriage. It's like you guys get you guys, well, split up. And then you get with him, and you get with her. And, like, for an example, uh, Terry uh, Eugenol, he was one such person whose marriage was ripped apart by Joe DiMombro. How the fudge, (laughs) I used up my quota
0: of F words, um, how the hell, as a man, do you let another man, short and dumpy, looking like soup poured into a bag, how do you let him break up your relationship?
2: Psychically powerful. But I, I you see, under- this is the thing. You do you? you still malign the short of the dumpy. <laughs> we don't understand the type of links that the short and the dumpy have to do to take over this fucking planet of ours. Which, unfortunately, there's a lot of us that uh-huh. are in very mm-hmm. key p- places on the planet Earth. Well, um, and what it is, I mean, you've already bought in so far. Yeah, right. you're already wearing capes. You're already taking acid. You're already hanging out a lot. Well, it's the Swiss chalet and there's no rotisserie chicken there for you. And you are. So at at a certain point to say no to him means it's all been wrong.
0: Yeah. How many years years, uh, of marinating would it take for someone to be like, yeah, you're right. I don't like this woman that I love.
3: When this happened to Terry, it had been about a decade, about 10 years. Oh, geez. Okay. But, you know, never underestimate the power of humiliation or the power of possible humiliation. Because people will go to such great lengths to never admit they were ever wrong. And to never be humiliated. Sure. And, you know, just for example, like, Terry, in 1989, uh, his wife, Natalie, she started to get a little fed up with the life and the order. She was done with it. Right. So she suggested to Terry, let's get the fuck out of here. Let's take the kids. Let's go. Yeah, you had fun. You did the acid. You yeah. You had a good time. Everything's fine, but, you know, but they were also, and they were living on $150 a month. Uh. So she's like, let's get out of here. Stop giving them all of your fucking money. So when Terry told Demombro about this, (sighs) Demombro said, dude, this is perfect. You know why? Because I just found your cosmic wife, like, yesterday. Wow. Yeah, dude. You know what you can do? Fucking get rid of Natalie. Get rid of her. Take Marielle. Oh, Oh, my goodness. Yeah. And by the end of the day, Natalie had been excommunicated and thrown out of the order. And by that night, that fucking night. Marielle had taken her place in bed next to Terry, all while the kids were still living in the next room over. Jeez. Okay. Well,
0: I guess that's from the book of how to fuck up your kids.
3: Yeah. And I just
0: used the f word again.
2: (laughs) Ha! Wow. How to fudge up your kids? You mean that is disgusting? How to fudge up (laughs) your kids? (laughs) This is not the Children of God series. Do not mention that ever again. The idea of just them all covered with stuff that looks like chocolate, (laughs) you know.
3: Now uh, the cosmic marriages weren't the only thing that DeMombro brought with him from the old days of the foundation of the Golden Way. That was his cult before the Order of the Solar Temple. He also brought along the concept of cosmic children. These children were said to be the ones who were going to usher in a new age.
2: I gotta go to the bathroom, Daddy. I gotta go to the bathroom, Daddy. We're not
0: to we're Neptune, Neptune
3: yet. <laughs> yet. Shut the
2: fuck up. I tell you what, you're something else the <laughs> cosmic anymore. This is done.
3: I see a new <laughs> child.
0: Daddy, I need to pay for cosmic college. I don't have any money.
3: <laughs> you know I got fired. <laughs> and it was no coincidence that the cosmic children belonged to either DeMombro or Jere. Mm. Even though they were said to be a product of... A product of... Theogamy, which was a marriage between the gods. Uh. Yes.
2: Yeah, so the his child, he said, was uh, uh, had. Uh, what's it? The uh, immaculate conception. Oh. He didn't even yeah. Fuck his wife.
3: Yeah. Demombro said that his first child, Ellie, was supposedly conceived under the direction of the Masters of Zurich in Israel during the vernal equinox. Okay.
2: Push this... in and out. Push <laughs> in and out. <laughs> Empty your bowl. My young squire. <laughs> Yikes.
3: And the second child was born of a woman who could possibly be described as DeMambro's very own Scarlet Lady. Ooh. She sounds fucking spicy, dude. Yeah, her name was Dominique Bellaton. Okay. Ooh. And she was only 19 years old when she Ooh. fell in with Joe DeMambro, who Ooh-hoo. was in his, I think... 50s or 60s? I All think he's right. in his 60s. Yeah. And upon seeing Dominique for the first time, Dimambro immediately told her that she was the reincarnation of the Egyptian queen Hatshepsut. And and he just, took her as his mistress. It is such a lame pickup line. Of course, a nineteen-year-old girl would be like,
0: "Oh, that's wonderful! Wow! I don't know why they sound like
2: a 90 year old Oh,
0: that's no. wonderful!
2: Oh, I was just, oh yeah, I was just watching my program. Oh, your mustache is certainly tickling, tickling my undercarriages. Woo-hoo. Yeah, I
3: know. <laughs> so a few years later, Dominique had become pregnant. And she and Dimambro declared that the child had been immaculately conceived as the archchild, the avatar, the new Christ. They had even acted out the immaculate c- conception in one of the ritual rooms with a laser beam. Oh my god. Awesome. Telling everyone that the beam shining onto on Dominic's her pussy. Pussy. Okay. pussy was the, the, <laughs> All right. the seed David? of one of the ascended
2: masters. Just oh. Then you have the guy on the lasers, just like alright, and really just gotta zap <laughs> that clit here. <laughs> Right. <laughs> Larry and Dan, I'm going to get you on
0: get on your hands and knees and just and blow on the labia,
2: just a little bit.
0: <laughs> That's good for effect. Wow, that is this yeah. is very theatrical stuff.
3: Oh, extremely so, yeah. And they said that uh, the seed was uh, shot in by the ascended masters, <sighs> but it was also somehow going to be Joe DiMombro's mother reborn.
0: Meanwhile, just cut to an air an airline pilot with the a laser in his eyes as he crashes into the woods. <laughs>
2: Uh, I should have turned the oh, laser no, off. Oh, no, i got some future cum on me. I'm going to crash this plane.
3: <laughs> Once these children were born, they were never allowed to play with children outside the order, lest their energy be, quote, mingled. Ugh, so they're getting crazy. They're getting crazy. And five of these kids would eventually be born, but only four would survive the year 1994. Hmm. So it was with these beliefs and rituals that the order of the solar temple reached its apex in 1989 with 442 members. Hmm. 90 were in Switzerland. 187 were in France. 86 were in Quebec. 53 were in Martinique. 10 were in Spain. And we only had 16 here in the States. And
0: then just like one really sad loser in
3: Montana. <laughs> just just the
0: middle
2: of nowhere. I'll- I uh, await our not Templar leaders, and I will issue to them and show them the corn in which I grow with the power of the ancients. Um, but you know what? Uh, it's this is these are the salad days. Yeah. This is when this is when all this was fucking cooking, man. This is okay. fucking jamming right now, dude. Yeah.
3: 1989 was like, this ride ain't ever gonna end. No, now with the election of George
0: H.W. Bush, we're keeping it going, boys.
3: <laughs> and this height was when Jure bagged some of his most impressive recruits. Between 1987 and 1989, Juret managed to nab a number of high-ranking employees at a hydroelectric utility called Hydro-Quebec through a series of motivational speeches. See, Juret had been brought in to speak by Hydro-Quebec's projects manager, Jean-Pierre Vinay, who was already a high-ranking member of the order. And these speeches, I mean, they actually, it was pretty standard, like corporate fare. You know, it's speeches like the meaning of life and self-realization in management. Oh God, I'm gonna shoot myself in the head.
2: <laughs> no, dude, man. Then he brought he brought his spiritual energy to them, I and see. then he says like, how to use how to use expense reports to get calm on your jeans. <laughs> it's like all that kind of shit where it's like he's trying to flip it for. Yeah. Uh, and these exe- yeah,
3: and these executives they would listen to the speeches and then, you know, uh what is it? Vinay would walk up to him and was like, "Hey, you know, if you want to hear more, you can come on out to the chalet." And then, by the time Jure was done with his run of motivational speeches at Hydro Quebec, uh, he'd recruited fifteen executives and managers into this yuppie cult. Oh my god! I mean, it played right into their fucking lifestyle. It wasn't just—it was a really cool, exclusive club, right? And of course, all of these people contributed heavily when it came to their finances. One Time Magazine article estimated that during Jure and DeMombro's relatively short reign as leaders of the Solar Temple, like 10 years or so, mm-hmm. they amassed a nest egg of cash and assets gained from followers that was worth 93 million dollars
2: Man, so they should have just grabbed the cash and have just disappeared right. into south america like i, I don't know. i don't understand that's a part of it Ugh. we'll be endlessly debating this where it's like they could have just left and they could have just been a part of the esoteric hall of fame uh, right. at, with alice bailey and all these people and it would have been fine
0: well do you think that there is something because corporate life is human suffering yeah it is soulless it is a nightmare jordan Belfort, uh, wolf of wall street uh, which was again on television henry i see your face all the time Hey uh, man i got a couple of cents yeah you did do well with that um but do you think it's because their lives are so so soul- soulless like if you work in a corporate office every single day there's nothing there for you so maybe they're more susceptible to a guy like this being like you can get all the profits you want and now here's some spirituality to go along
2: power with. begets power the whole thing is they you want more horrible. power. Like I don't know if you necessarily a corporate existence means you are dead in the inside. Oh, it I does. think it just <laughs> means you want I think a part of it is you you know what it takes to make money as humanly possible, and you're wil- willing to put your humanity to the side to do that.
0: Sure, and so to anyone listening in an office right now, thank you for listening, and you're not soulless whatsoever. Yeah, I know we have a lot of
3: good listeners. cover, Kissel. Well, I yeah, know we really have really good k- covers. Yeah. I, yeah, and don't malign the extremely rich too much. How else are we going to get six flags on us? That's All very I want true. is I. We need more millionaires <laughs> I'm to listen malign. to the show. The thing is about all the money that came in to the cult, this is where the turn came. They made too much money. As Wait, we said, are you telling me that money corrupted a situation? <laughs> <laughs> See, as we said before, some people, like Terry Eugenon, were given their entire salaries over to DeMombro and Jure, Ugh. while they themselves were living on less than 200 bucks a month. Now, this wasn't everyone in the cult, because it tends to kind of ruin some of the allure if everyone in the cult is suddenly poor. Right. But, by draining some of them, while guzzling a fair amount from others... DeMombro and Jure were living the high life. DeMombro owned 12 houses and had a personal bank account that numbered in the high six figures. What? And this was all while he and Jure were banging just about every woman in the order whenever they wanted. Jeez. Naturally, this led to some bad feelings. Yeah, yeah I would think sometime, so. Yeah. yeah, some people get upset
2: when you have two Freddie Mercurys in the group. I watch <laughs> right. Bohemian Rhapsody, and the rest of them just have silly hair. Uh. And,
3: it's the and by the time the 90s rolled around things started to fall apart for the Order of the Solar Temple. One of the first cracks appeared when Demombro's own children began rebelling against the group, some of these cosmic kids. Yeah. In 1990, Elio DiMombro just happened to stumble upon his father's prop closet.
2: Oh, nothing is sadder when a sketch comedian is revealed. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> no kid can you imagine being the kid of this guy going Ugh. through the teenage years you hate your parents no matter
3: what and then you got that guy as a, as a dad yeah when elio opened the door he found a treasure trove of ritual paraphernalia he found the sword excalibur he found the holy grail i mean and this was just usually like all this stuff was supposed to have materialized from you know the ethereal plane <sighs> yeah, and gonna... elio opens the closet and it's just a couple of, it's just it's just rubber made. Yeah, it's just rubber made. It's just a, in storage. Dad,
2: Ugh. Dad, I found the Holy Grail in your closet, and also this big rubber butt. <laughs> Why just a butt? I hate I to, just...
0: I'm sorry, son. I, I, I should have told you earlier. I am a sketch comedian. <laughs> <laughs> no.
3: When Elio saw this, he told as many people as he could before leaving the order forever, and he took around a dozen high-ranking members with him. After this, DiMombro changed tack. See, DiMombro, for a while, he had a pretty tolerant and open style of leadership. People could give him criticisms. He'd listen to it. Mm -hmm. But then after that incident, after people started to leave, he turned a hell of a lot more authoritarian. Okay. Because of this... Things weren't so much fun in the yuppie cult anymore, so people started leaving in droves. Although, DeMombro kept a few of the higher-ranking members through blackmail. He told watch executive Camille P.A. that if he left, DeMombro would let it slip that P.A. had been fucking Luc Duret. Whoa. <gasps> Although, I got no idea if that's actually true or not. Right. I mean, they were doing a little and a little guessing. I, I guess. We were
2: French, and they were in the chalet, and... They just saw the grail. Like, I mean, honestly, a lot of things happen. Sure, sure. <laughs> it's
0: and also not that big of a secret. Even if someone did say that, it'd be like,
3: oh, okay. Then. I guess in 1990, maybe there was, I mean, 19. things were a lot different. Oh, it was, yeah. yeah it was yeah. a lot different no, back totally. then, yeah. It sounds like it was real. Yeah. That's what it sounds like. Yeah. And speaking of Jure, he was starting to lose it as well. By 1990, Jure was much more interested in the ritual preamble fuck sessions than the rituals themselves. Did Jure oh. go through a fat Jim Morrison phase? <laughs> Please tell me he gained like 30 pounds. No, he went through a, a disheveled phase, definitely near the end. Mm-hmm. And his behavior was just getting erratic. Because a lot of the members felt that his predictions for the end of the world were getting just a little too specific for their comfort. <sighs> and and they were also getting a little weirded out about how tight of a hold Jure had on some of the other followers physical grip
2: <laughs> on some of his followers,
3: and there's—I mean—they're I mean, starting to look around, and it's—they're starting to see like, okay, this is going from like a fun esoteric society to right. a cult. So to to say the word Oprah again, they're having their aha moments. Yes, yes, yes. yes, they absolutely, absolutely are. So in 1991, the Canadian branch of the Order of the Solar Temple voted out Jure as Canadian Grand Master. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: uh, you're no longer King Nerd.
3: Oh no. <laughs> it's his moose horns taken away <laughs> which is so sad and they replaced him with Robert Falardeau who is Quebec's minister of finances these are high yeah, ranking dude, government so have, officials it's a what big sp- fucking jump
0: yeah. oh my god okay so they're way this is um Shinrikyo stuff yeah, where I they mean, actually have government it, officials involved I yeah. see
2: how you're there you're running the order of solar temple they're uh, keeping the tech group and your followers but you know I gotta say you, the way you should be doing it is you should be you really gotta come at it with the quicken you need to use quicken in order to really understand how to how to lead a group of people there i'll show you
3: <laughs> wow but there were still people in quebec listening to what jure had to say even though he'd been demoted and jure suddenly had a new message familiar to cult leaders everywhere arm yourself uh-oh however jure's message has been blown somewhat out of proportion over yes. the years Because it makes for a better story. Sure. Now, a lot of people make it seem like Jure was stockpiling an arsenal like Branch Davidian style. Had, like, machine guns and RPGs and grenades and all that shit. Right, cool stuff, yeah. But in reality, Jure just sent, like, two of his dudes to buy a couple of guns. Like, illegal guns. There's
2: a documentary called Witness about Order of the Solar Temple that has one of the men that went to buy these guns. Okay. And the men he sent... It's still one the guy who spoke in the documentary is one of my favorite cult survivors I've ever seen because he literally was like, and then wouldn't you know what Luke said for me to go and find him a gun, and he said, I was like, get one of those things that make it go pew pew on it. I was like, you talking about a silencer? And he was like, yes. And I was like, okay, all right. And so he acted like it was a fun like little Jean. So, so I went and I asked a police officer, how do I buy a gun? He just straight up oh asked the God. fuck, he just asked people how to buy guns. Seriously. And he just happened to be speaking to an undercover police officer He's like, all right, I hope you get a gun. He's like, Ooh. yes, this is easier than I if, Chris, <laughs> if, if Christopher Guest
3: directed this entire thing, <laughs> it could be really fun yeah, and guy, hilarious. Yeah, this guy's Christopher Guest character in Waiting for Guffman, okay, pretty much, great. and he's going to he's going to try to buy an illegal gun. Yeah, it was about March of '93, and this guy's name is Herman Delorme, love him, uh, <laughs> and uh, Jean-Pierre Vinet from Hydro Quebec. Uh, they went out, they tried to buy a couple of semi-automatic silenced weapons, uh, and the first person they found was an. M4 for the Quebec police. And I tell these... you what,
2: I found a perfect line on a man with a gun. I've met him. He had, he, it seemed to me he was like wearing a lot of like, it seemed to be like an armor underneath his clothes, but <laughs> it was still funny. He was so thick. It was fun to talk to a big thick guy. And then he just told me speak right into his lapel uh, because right. that's how he takes the order. Of course. You always know it's an
0: undercover officer here in New York if they're really into the Yankees. The,
3: or the yeah, Rangers. really into yes, the Yankees. The full heads. Heads. <laughs> Like they
0: dressed in the morning and be like, What do people dress
3: like? Yeah, I know what they like. The Yankees. Yeah, you see a guy wearing a Rangers jersey in July on the train. That's an (laughs) undercover cop. Yes, or Mario Lemieux. (laughs) So these two guys, I mean, they were just scooped up in a sting operation immediately. So they
0: went to the so the
3: undercover cop had the easiest day of all time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they scooped up Luke Jure in this whole thing as well because he told them to go get the guns. But the thing was, I mean, nobody did any jail time. In fact, I mean, this whole thing was kind of handled in just about the most Canadian way possible. Although, it's not necessarily a bad thing how they handled it. I mean, each of the three guys, they just ordered them, ordered them to pay like $1,000 to the Red Cross. They're like, get out of here. Oh, you'll give us
0: $1,000 to the Red Cross. That's charity. No poutine for two weeks. No poutine. <laughs> no, poutine. no poutine. You no poutine. might as
2: well kill me and my family there. Well, that's
0: up to you to decide if you want
2: to do that. No poutine for two weeks. It's Order of the Queen. You know what? I take it back. You can have the poutine. I didn't mean to
3: make you upset. Thank you. Uh, Afterward, Uh, Vinay, he got fired from Hydro-Quebec, while uh, DeLorme, he got spooked after that. He just left the group completely, just in the nick of time. And as we said, now speaks candidly in documentaries about his time in the Order like it was just a a lark of his life.
2: That was the craziest summer I've ever experienced, (laughs) and I also... I did tour with scorpions for a little while. I followed them around. yeah, I had a couple of
3: fun summers. Scorpion, not bad. No, they asked him about, like, the final days of the call. He's like, you know what? I'm not sure if I would have, like, you know, killed myself. But, you know, I might have killed someone else. I might have done it. I might have done it. I don't it. know. Like I have to think about it for a second, but I, you know, I might, I might have killed someone else. Yep, that's when you, that's when you like,
0: uh, when you're sitting at the bar, you just try to find like an empty spot to stare, where you're just like, oh, okay.
3: Great to hear. Because of this incident with all of the guns and everything, investigators started looking deeper into the Order of the Solar Temple because they thought that there was a possibility that these guys were involved with a very real terrorist group called Q37 who had just threatened to kill Quebec's public security minister, Claude Ryan. Ooh. Which I do believe Dre wanted
2: to happen. He wanted connections to these other terrorist groups. You remember, J- Jure came but- from all of this world of right-wing thought as well. Like, all it kind of was like, but he was a part of these very intense reactionary groups before this. So I think he liked the mystery of all this, and it allowed the, per- the idea of mm-hmm. persecution and what is a cult love more than to be hated. Because yeah, then it gives them a reason to exist.
0: You imagine him trying to entertain a gang? Just be like, I would love to be a part of your gang. They're, like, They're serious. <laughs> yeah. They then, don't wear
3: ropes. No, these guys, I mean, this is a full-on terrorist group. Right. But, you know, the cops, they raided one of the orders clubhouses in St. salvia and they investigated all the possible ties to Q37, including the bombing of two Hydro-Quebec transmission towers mm. the year before, but they never found any link. Between Q37 and the OST, and that that's that's the link between Q37 and the OST. That's a big like wink, wink, nudge, nudge when people talk about uh, the cult because it makes them seem like a little bit more dangerous than they really were. Uh, yes. But there is there was no connection whatsoever found. Okay. But even though the Canadian government completely abandoned any investigation into the OST because they figured, was, okay, this is just a bunch of rich assholes playing dress up. This we don't really need to get involved in this. Uh, that initial investigation that only. Heightened the paranoia that was already festering below the surface in both Demombro and Jure. Do you think a reality TV show could have saved everything?
4: Because <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't. No th- man, it always heightens. So
3: because then you have to find out who gets producer credits, who gets executive yeah. producer ah. credits, who's
2: an associate <laughs> producer. It's a
3: lot of problems. Lot okay. Of See, the thing was, like Damombo and Jure, they actually they seem to be like. Best buds till the end. They loved each other. Like, DeMombro, he always had full confidence in Jure. And when Jure got kicked out of his grand mastership in Canada, like, Uh, DeMombro was behind him the whole time. He was telling him, like, you guys don't need to do this, but, you know, they were voted out nonetheless. Uh Well,
2: well, what I had heard was Uh that they did have some complications between the two of them because uh, DeMombro, in many ways, felt that he was—DeMombro thought that everything was cool as long as he was involved. He thought Jure's involvement in the Canadian OST and the shit that—because Jure was doing the— the, his big fuck circle in Canada and Demombro I think f- seemed to was the way it was presented in one article I was reading was uh, almost jealous because Demombro oh, wants sure. to make sure of like he can't be doing extra fucking
3: but Uh-oh. what I heard Uh-oh. is that Demombro was behind Jure completely when right. the Canadian OST got him brought him down well
0: nonetheless it wasn't too extreme to, for it to be a big the band Levon versus Robbie Robertson blow it. <laughs> it was it was relatively <laughs> yes, like so it was he a minor in the news. if it was a yeah.
2: fluffle it was a Minor curve, okay. It minor was a, cr- yeah, That would it, make sense, yeah. though. I
0: would understand that. Yeah, am yeah, Surprised was, they did so
2: well.
3: Yeah, it was definitely a minor cur- Like they, these two guys never seem to have any like huge arguments. Okay, disagreements, yes, but they You're never were real w-
2: Bert and Ernie. Yeah.
0: Okay. <laughs> yeah. Right. So like, they,
2: but like when you know when Bert and Ernie are like they're they're sharing a woman because they've, they've uh, I they know they basically said that they were they were not gay at <laughs> Sesame Street. Said- I don't and know. So, you they know did. they're always sticking? Because you trade in and out, where one guy's fucking her for a while, and the other guy comes in and he's very. So their penises have touched a bunch. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. This, that's
3: what Bert and Ernie always did. They always <laughs> sh- shared women. Well, after the raid a lot of the more loyal OST members followed DeMombro and Jure back to Switzerland, where they all settled into a nice stew of paranoia because they now believed that they were somehow a persecuted group. Oh. This is from one of DeMombro's diaries. We don't know when they might close
2: the trap on us. A few days, a few weeks. We are being followed and spied upon in our every move. All the cars are equipped with tracing and listening devices. All of their most sophisticated techniques are being used on us. While in the house, beware of surveillance cameras, lasers, and infrared. Our file is the hottest on the planet. The most important of the last ten years, if not of the century.
3: And this played into the cult's own narrative perfectly, because they've been telling each other for a decade that they were the most special people on Earth. They were the chosen people. Right. And now they had a persecution complex to go along with it. Great. And as we know, a powerful group who convinces themselves that they're being persecuted can be extremely dangerous. Mm Mm-hmm. Now the OST had definitely gotten some bad press in Quebec after the gun incident which caused membership to drop even further. Hmm. In just a few years from like 93 or from 89 to 93, the annual income of the group from membership dues dropped from almost 500,000 francs to 89,000. Ooh, and Demombro's health was failing as well. In 1994, Demombro was 70 years old. Ooh. Riddled with cancer and diabetes, and incontinent to the point where he had to constantly wear an adult diaper.
2: <laughs> A the people say I'm sick and that maybe I cannot control my poo-poo. <laughs> but my diaper is made of leather, so you know that I still look stylish and young.
0: I can't wait, man. I'm like, I'm, I'm, I want an adult diaper bad. Bad? Yeah, you can get one today. Just have fun with it. <laughs> you know? And it's, Whatever.
3: Whatever. And it's possible that Jure was dying as well, although we don't know this for a fact. I think that he was full of shit, but we'll, you know. Well, in his book, Terry Eugenal, Eugenol, Eugenol, wrote that near the end, Luke Jure told him, quote, I have cancer, Terry. I'm fucked. I'm fucked. (laughs) 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 So it seems like these guys had two choices If you believe that Jure was dying One, they could see their secret society fade further and further into obscurity Until they both died of their respective diseases And their order died with them Mm -hmm. Or they could put their money where their mouth was And they could make transit a reality You
2: gotta spend money to make money
3: because a- so after these all, guys, they uh, have nothing to lose. Yeah, exactly. If they're both Ugh. dying, then what do they really have to lose? And furthermore, there's the paradox of the secret society. You know, really, a secret society has no point unless people know that it exists. Right.
2: Well, it can't be cool. Yeah. it's not cool if it's not an open <clears throat> secret that your society is secret.
3: Yeah, it's like uh, it's kind of a, actually a part of like the yuppie mindset. It's like you let the hoi polloi know just enough about your secret society where they know it exists, but you also let them know that they'll never be a part of it oh. and they'll never know all of its secrets. It's like the same principle as like Skull and Bones at Yale, right? Like Everyone... first class on a plane.
2: <laughs> it's first class
3: on a plane where you got the little curtain,
2: which right. is, you know it
3: doesn't cover everything, but you're like.
2: What's on those trays? Oh, what are they? Oh, they're getting cocktails. Oh, they have their own bathroom.
0: <laughs> well, I got What say. is it really like when whenever we get fortunate enough to occasionally sit first class? Whatever those fancy people are eating. You're closer to the bathroom than anyone else. You can't get away from the bathroom. So someone goes in there and fucking
2: lets you know the they've eaten. The food seems to move faster through my system on a plane. Mm. So I actually like being closer to the bathroom, so as soon as it's ready to be shit, boom. Yeah. <laughs>
0: My goodness gracious. Yeah. And by the way, all they give people, hot towels. And I don't even know what to th- What do you do with it? Do you wash your face a hot with towel. It. A Why? hot
2: towel is incredibly, it's refreshing. It's not <laughs> refreshing. It's a warm, disease You don't deserve bumps. these. You
3: don't deserve I don't these washers. You, you, you don't deserve them. Don't. This right. is the problem. All this right, is, all right. Okay. All right. Back to the horror of the solar temple. Uh, if you all remember, 1994 was a busy year for cults. That was the same gear that the Branch Davidians died in a storm of fire and bullets in Waco, Texas. (sighs) And it seems like this tragedy threw a bit of a turd into Jure and DeMombro's punch bowl. Could you not say turd around me? Uh, I'm wearing an adult diaper and I am actually
2: full of turds.
3: I literally, I sympathy shit
2: every single time I hear somebody talk about
3: it. (laughs) For proof, this here is an exchange between DeMombro and Jure that was caught on tape. In March of nineteen ninety four.
2: People have beaten us to the punch, you know.
3: Well yeah, but Waco beat us to the punch. Ah,
2: uh, in my opinion. We should have gone six months before them. But what we'll do will be even more
0: spectacular. So they were like so basically Waco was Michael Jackson and OST. Uh, was Farrah Fawcett. Is that what <laughs> yes. happened? Because Farrah Fawcett yeah, yes. really was like, I am dying, and I want the cameras to be there. And she wanted she, it. She wanted it so bad, and then Michael was just like, by the way, I'll take <laughs> one final headline away from you.
3: Yeah, uh, and that that's, like, Waco really pissed him off because it stole their thunder. G- that is ridiculous. Yeah. Okay. And that's the thing is that, like, when you listen to some of Demombro's other recordings at the end of his life, I mean, the man talks like he's taking notes from the Jonestown death tape. I mean, here's an example of uh, one of his recordings, read by Henry.
2: We are rejected by the whole world. First, by the people. The people can no longer withstand us. And our earth, fortunately, she rejects us. How would we live otherwise? We also reject this planet. We wait for the day we can leave. Life for me is intolerable. Intolerable. I can't go on. Would it helped if they had a pet monkey. <laughs> you, know, give a, you, you need
3: a Mr. Mugs. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I listen to that shit. I mean, it could be, I mean, that whole shit could be copy and pasted right into Jim Jones's laughs. Like right. that yes. laugh is intolerable. Intolerable.
2: Intolerable. We need yeah. to shed this laugh. Yeah. It's the same thing because, or what, but, what did we learn again last time? The, the suicide. Of the cult leader, you're killing the brain, yeah, which kills the snake. That's what we're doing here. That's mm-hmm. what that's what happens. Is that as soon as he decides we're all in the head of the cult leader, when he's out, you're out. But at yeah. least
0: in the Jonestown, obviously it's horrible what happened, but at least they weren't living in a nice city with money. Yeah. They were you know, it was difficult.
3: Well, I, I think I mean it's possible that, that Jure uh was not dying. I mean I mean there is a, a ton of different possibilities uh, as far as what happened here. I mean it's possible I mean we know that DeMombro was definitely dying. Okay. Like he had can we know he had cancer, we know he had diabetes, he was incontinent. Uh and you know, and some people think that uh, the reason why DeMombro uh Just I mean, pulled the cord on everything, was because he couldn't stand to see anybody else in charge of it. Mm. Uh, If the cult moved on after Demombro died, then somebody else was going to be in charge, and he couldn't stand the thought of anyone else being in charge. Okay. Now, all the OST needed now that they decided to end it was a spark to set the fire, and they got it in a surprisingly innocuous way. They got it when special effects man Tony Dutrois named his child... And that is where we'll pick back up next time to see how that one small event led to the deaths of 74 people and the conclusion of the Order of the Solar Temple.
2: All right.
0: There it is.
3: Next
2: week, it's going to get real fucking violent. Yes. This is is when it all comes crashing down. And we see this group of nerds Mm -hmm. um, with their space gods and their swords. Uh, I well, guess make it to the big leagues. I don't know what you'd say the I, term is. I don't know either. Be careful
0: who you follow. Don't trust any of these people. You yeah. don't. Have, you don't need them, um, except for
2: me. Yeah, trust me. For,
0: yeah, except for you, Henry. That's that's except, a good message. Do you yeah, Honestly, do you want the? Do you want the responsibility of having a cult?
2: Nah, I don't like paperwork.
0: I need to have other people doing all the leases <laughs> right. and
2: all of the all of the buildup of the sermons and stuff, and then right. I do all the showman and stuff. Sure, it seems like a colossal pain in the ass in Gigantic. a lot of ways.
0: Yeah. All right, everyone, thank you so much for listening. We are excited to see everyone in Indianapolis, and then we'll see you in Chicago on Saturday. Yeah, which will be Chicago. wonderful. Well, Chicago. Well, by the time this comes out, we've already done Indianapolis. It, thank again. Thank you again for the fan who gave me one million dollars after
3: the show. Oh man, yeah, Six yeah, Flags wow. on us. Six Flags on us. <laughs> Six Flags. <laughs> man we're going to six flags <laughs> he should be so lucky we're gonna have such a nice time yeah and by the way if you do want to claim six flags on us if you want to give to our patreon sure. uh all we need is uh a commitment minimum commitment commitment of 66.6 months uh that's it of, uh, of at fifteen thousand dollars a month that's it. to be paid in one lump sum and uh-huh. you'll get in return Six Flags, on us. We'll Six go flags, to, flags or, on us. We'll
2: go to Six Flags, and we'll pay for the whole trip ourselves. Wow! We'll take the whole thing, or give us ten dollars so you can get the show ad-free. Yeah. Yes, do that. Yeah, Thank you. Or
3: five dollars to get bonus content. Any, any yes. of those
2: things would be great. But, yeah. but the more importantly, Six Flags on us, uh-huh. and that's it. It is oh. just sixty-six point six months of fifteen grand at a go. That's it. It's easy.
0: It's so easy. Even a billionaire could do it. <laughs> um, okay, everyone. But seriously, thank you all so much for giving to our Patreon. We really appreciate you. Without you, none of this is possible. And uh, Henry and I always have a great we have a great interview series on there. So make sure you check that out. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. Anything else that we have? Is there any like any business that we need uh, to yeah. tell people about? We got the we got chicago coming up that's gonna be our last show for the year yeah um so that'll be very exciting uh our stream is back on tuesdays yeah so make sure you stream. check that out on adult Full Swim. on
2: back we're having a good ass time excited to be back doing the stream adult slash streams yeah um we're taping our special it's going to be for sale yep. in i believe december i'm Deep. not sure when we're going to get it done um but it's going to be out there Yep. Um, and we're very excited for you to see it. We're going to be trashing that show that we're shooting and making a whole new show for our 2019 tours, I, which wait. is going to be all over the globe. Absolutely.
3: Mm-hmm. yeah. Um, and if you guys uh, want to uh, buy any Christmas gifts for yes. you the last podcast network fan in your life, uh, just go to last podcast on the left and click on merch and make sure you get it in time for the holidays. Yes,
0: absolutely. Um, and social media, you know, it's LP on the left on everything. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. Uh, Ben Kissel one Instagram, <laughs> Marcus <laughs> Barks. Everything, yep. Doctor Fantasty, Henry loves you. Twitter, and I am Twitter at Ben Kissel, which I occasionally look at every now and again.
2: I but, uh, uh, don't. I try not to uh, do it. Don't want to live there. You don't want to. I your don't want to live there. there. Um, I like to thank Laundry Day that sent me some pipes in the mail for tobacco use in Los <laughs> Angeles. I can say whatever the fuck it is I want. Yeah. but I can't say it to you. Uh, Laundry Day. They sent me some. They're really, really nice. They're really fucking nice pipes. Really, the pipe is one thing. I got was like literally. It's nice for when you're trying to impress a weed smoker. It's a really nice little. It's little. It's fancier. But the one hitter they got me, it cools the smoke because the extra ribbing. (laughs) (laughs) I really enjoy it, man. I'm taking (laughs) big old fucking throat loads of it, and it's great. Awesome. All right, everyone, hail yourselves. Hail Satan. Hail Gene. Hail me. And Magoostalations. and don't join a cult. Try not to, but
0: they're sneaky.
1: Yeah, real sneaky.
2: Just have fun, man. Just do it for the fun years, and then get out if you can.
1: (laughs) Hey, guys, Sean Hayes here. Jason Bateman, Will Arnett, and I had a -a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to sit down with not one, not two